Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Weird answers. Is Easter a royal waste of time? Is it worthless? Do you get to heaven by being a good person? Does everybody go to heaven? Is it by obeying the golden rule and just trying to do what you think is right? Is there no right or wrong answer to these questions? It's basically what you feel in your heart. Is all you have to do is really just believe in Jesus to have eternal life? These are great questions. Questions that all of us should come face to face with when we think about Easter. Eternal questions. There's one question that every single person in this room today needs to ask. And before you leave this place, you need to make sure that it's answered for you. I can't answer it for you. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your friends can't answer it. You have to come to the conclusion this morning. And it's simply this question. How do you and I or anybody, how does a person, how does a human being, how do we as people have a right relationship with our Creator? How do you and I have a right relationship with the God who created us, and how do we know for certain that when we die, we will in fact spend eternity in heaven? I'm so very glad that you're here today on this Easter Sunday service. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us, and we want to just give you a warm welcome from Emmanuel Baptist Church. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take us on a journey through Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories, and they're all basically the same story, just told in three different ways. It's the story of a lost sheep, the story of a lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And so Jesus is going to tell us these three stories, and they're going to be a spiritual application to these stories, and it's going to help us to understand what it means to have a relationship with the living God this morning. So maybe if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, there may be Bibles underneath your seat. Feel free to grab one of those if you want to. Uh, We're going to be looking at page 874, 874 in your Bible down there if you don't have a copy of God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, whether it's a traditional leather-bound copy or if it's an electronic copy, I'll say swipe or turn or turn on Luke chapter 15. And what I want to do is I want to read the first two verses of Luke chapter 15 because this is the setup. This is the context of why Jesus tells these three stories. And it's very important to know why he tells these stories. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so here's what's going on. There are these sinners, people with baggage, people with problems, people with issues, just like us. And they were drawing near to Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. They were were drawn to Jesus. 
And the religious people of the day, they're called Pharisees here, a Pharisee and a scribe. Those were just the religious leaders of Jesus' day that were very prideful. They thought that they had everything all together. They didn't have issues. They didn't have baggage. And they looked down on other people that had issues and had sin. They were getting upset because Jesus was receiving sinners. Now think about the joy of that verse. Jesus receives sinners. In the original language, that word to receive sinners means Jesus welcomes gladly. Jesus befriends sinners. Jesus gets excited about having sinners come near to him. And so here's the main point of all three of these stories that tell basically the same story. All three stories lead us to one huge issue. And this is the issue. This is the point of all three of these stories And it is this, God loves to receive sinners who genuinely repent. God loves to receive sinners who genuinely repent. So what I want us to do is I want to ask three questions this morning. Three questions that I think these stories help us to understand. The three very, very important questions. First of all, if God loves to save sinners, the first question we've got to ask is what's a sinner? What does it mean to be a sinner? There's a lot of confusion in our world today about sin and what it means to be a sinner. That's the first question. Second question is, if God loves to receive sinners who genuinely repent, second question, what does it mean to genuinely repent? What does it mean to repent? Maybe you've never heard the word repent before. What does that mean? And most importantly and most excitedly, the third question we're going to look at is, how does God receive sinners? Why does God love to receive sinners who repent? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read all three of these stories together as one because I think Jesus tells them as one story or a parable. They all tell the same thing. Something's lost, something's found, and then there's a party over the lost thing being found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. So let's read this together. Let's pick up in verse 3, Luke 15, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And also as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now I hope you see the similarities between these three stories. Something's lost. Something's found. There's a celebration. But these aren't just stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. Jesus wants to give us a deeper meaning into salvation into what it means to have a relationship with him, the importance of Easter, the empty tomb. And so what I want to do is let's, let's ask these three questions, these three very important questions, because all three of these stories answer these questions for us. So here's the first question. The first question is this. What does it mean to be a sinner? And you may think, well, that's a very easy question, Sean. I mean, I've grown up in church my whole life. I know what it means to be a sinner. Well, let's let Jesus tell us here what it means to be a sinner. There's a repeated word all throughout these stories What's the repeated word? Something is lost. There's a lost sheep. There's a lost coin. And there's a lost son. The son goes off into this far-off country and engages in reckless living. And when he comes back, what does his dad say? He was lost, but now he's found. So the first thing we need to understand about what it means to be a sinner is it means that we're lost. Now, you may object and say, I don't understand what you're saying, Pastor Sean. What do you mean I'm lost? I mean, I've got my GPS. I've got my map. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not lost. I may be confused from here and now, but I'm not lost. I've got my life mapped out. I know where I'm going. I'm in control. I'm not lost. The word that Jesus uses here is very important, the word he uses for lost. In the original language, he uses a very key word to describe what it means to be lost. The word that he uses means to be eternally lost, to eternally perish, to be under God's condemnation, to be under God's wrath. 
And so when Jesus uses the term lost and when the Bible uses the term lost, it doesn't mean that you're spiritually misguided and you need a little bit of enlightenment to get back on the path. No, it means that you are under God's condemnation. You are under God's justice. There's a sentence of punishment hanging over you. And without Christ, if you die that way, you will be eternally lost. Listen to what Jesus says. Every person is born lost. Listen to what Jesus says in John 3, 17 through 19. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He he didn't have to condemn the world. Why? In order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We're condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come and condemn us. We already stand condemned. He came to save us out of that lostness. Later on in that chapter, John three thirty six, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him meaning that that wrath was there in the first place. So being a sinner means we're lost. We will perish in our sins. We are under God's condemnation without Christ. There's another term that Jesus uses here about being lost. He says the young man was dead. He was dead. Look at verse 24. What does the father say? For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He says the same thing in verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be be glad, for this your brother was dead, and now he's alive. Now let me just ask you a question. If you've read this story carefully, did the son ever die? No, the son never died. So how can the father say the son's dead? Well, Jesus is not talking about physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death. And one of the other things about being a sinner means that you're spiritually dead. Not only are you lost, but you're spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So we need to understand that being a sinner means more than just doing bad things. Being a sinner comes from our nature. We are born with a nature to sin. We are born lost. We are born dead. We are born under condemnation. We are born spiritually separated from God. And every single one of us in this room is born that way. And what it does is being born in sin causes us to do sin. It causes us to act in sinful ways. And so one of the ways that we see sin manifested in these stories, especially the third story here, not so much the first two, is rebellion. What does the young man do? He rebels against his father. He basically says to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. So go ahead and give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. You're dead to me. Give me my money. So he rebels against his dad. He spits in his dad's face. He basically takes everything that his dad gives him, and he goes off and he lives in this wild, reckless type of life with prostitutes and with all this type of wild living, and he rebels against his dad. He has no regard for the authority. So sin is not only mean spiritually lost, spiritually dead, but it leads us to spiritual rebellion where we act in ways that are rebellious against God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, As it is written, 
None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. This describes the epitome of what it means to be a sinner. We go our own way. We trust in our own selves. We, we don't seek God. We don't understand God. We're, we're all going our own way in rebellion. And do you know there's a huge payoff at the end of your life if you want to live that way? The Bible is very clear. There's a payout. There's a payment. There's a wage that's coming at the end of your life if you continue to live that way. The Bible is very clear. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. So what you deserve, what the payment's going to be at the end of your life is death, spiritual death and separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about this young man. At the end of, kind of at the end of his rope here in verse 16, he's lost all his friends. Why did he lose his friends? The money ran out. He lost his dad. He lost his home. It says nobody gave him anything. So he's destitute and alone and impoverished and hungry all by himself in solitude. Physically. But Jesus is showing that that's a picture of a spiritual reality if you die in your sins. If you die in your sins, that will describe you spiritually in hell. Alone, solitary, without anything. It's a picture of dire, dire aloneness. And I also want you to think about something for a moment. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm pretty good at this point because I'm not that young son. I've never visited a prostitute. Check that off my list. I've never killed anybody. Check that off my list. I've never cheated on taxes. Check that off my list. I've never lied. Well, maybe a little white lie here and there. I'm not a crazy, outrageous, immoral sinner who just kind of lives recklessly. That's not me. I'm pretty moral. I'm pretty upright. I go to church. I try to help the poor. I kind of try to live by the golden rule. I try to do good in order to somehow find my way to heaven. I'm religious. I'm moral. So I'm not in trouble here. I'm not lost. I'm not dead. I'm not rebellious. I'm pretty good. But I want you to notice that there's another son in this story. And sin is not just the outward things that you do. Sin is a matter of the heart. So you can do a lot of religious things, but with an impure motive. You can do a lot of religious things, but with lust and anger and impurity in your heart. The older brother gets mad at his dad, doesn't he? He gets in the face of his dad and says, Dad, what what do you think you're doing? This son of yours, who's out there living in a morally reckless lifestyle, you're killing the fattened calf and celebrating. Look at all the things I've done. I've been good. I didn't do those types of things. And basically the older son pulls out his resume to his dad and says, Dad, because I've done X, Y, and Z, you've got to accept me. And that's religion. Religion says, God, here's my X, Y, and Z of all the things I've done. You've got to accept me now because of all the good things I've done. Let me just tell you, the Bible calls that sin. Giving God a resume and saying, God, you must love me because of what I've done and being religious, that's just as much of a sin as living immorally wild like the younger brother. 
So sin is being spiritually lost, spiritually dead, rebellious. And let's just talk about one other thing that this passage of Scripture tells us. Sin is ultimately against our Creator. In all three stories, was there not an owner? Who owned the sheep? The shepherd. Who owned the coin? The woman. Who owned the sons? Well, the father, by virtue of the fact that he gave birth to them. In all three stories, there's ownership. And it's a picture of how God owns us because he created us. And so when we sin, it's outright rebellion against the one who owns us. We are accountable to this God. We're lost. We're dead. We're rebellious. And we're accountable. Now, if I just stopped here this morning and said, okay, go home, happy Easter, it'd be really bad news, wouldn't it? You'd all be really depressed, like, well, that, that's it? Well, gee, thanks, Pastor Sean, I'm a sinner. No, you need to realize what it means to be a sinner before you can understand the rest of the, uh, rest of the story. So let's try to ask the second question. The first question is, what does it mean to be a sinner? Here's the second question. What is genuine repentance? Genuine repentance. And maybe you've never heard a message on repentance Maybe you don't know what biblical repentance is, but this, these stories are all about repentance. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who does what? Repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then there down in verse 10, So I tell you there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what does it mean to repent? Does it mean you just kind of feel sorry for your sin? Does it mean you feel bad that you got caught for your sin? Does it mean, God, I promise I'll never do it again? What is repentance? Well, Jesus uses a special word here in the Bible that speaks of changing your mind, having a change of mind, a change of heart. Repentance is this thing that the Holy Spirit does in you where you begin to have a change of mind and a change of heart. You begin to have a new way of thinking. You begin to see for the first time, oh my goodness. You look at your life and say, I am spiritually lost. And oh my goodness, I am spiritually dead. And I am rebellious. Oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. And if I'm to die in my sin, the wages of that is death. And and I'm accountable and I'm rebellious. And so repentance starts with this change of mind. And then you begin to, to turn away from that sin. And you do a 180 degree turn from that sin. And as you turn from that sin, you turn towards Jesus as your only hope. You realize you are hopeless. You are helpless. And Christ alone is the only one that can save you. And we see this illustrated in the Son. He's at the lowest point in his life. He's there in the pig slop. Nothing. Everyone's abandoned him. He's all alone. Verse 17 says something to us. But when he came to himself, I think some translations say when he came to his senses, when God began to work on his heart and mind and bring about the awareness of what he was doing, that was the beginning of repentance. He began to have a change of mind. And notice what he does. That change of mind leads him to start thinking differently about himself. And differently about his father. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish? I perish here. Perish is the same exact word in the Greek that the word lost is used in the other parables. 
Jesus is using that word on purpose. So the, the son is saying to himself, if I don't change, if I don't do something about this, if, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to be lost eternally. I'm going to perish. So what does he do? Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He begins to confess sin. He owns up to his sin. He says, I'm spiritually dead. I'm spiritually lost. I'm a rebel. I've rebelled against you, God. I've rebelled against my father. I've got to get back, and I've got to go home. I've got to leave this life of sin, and I've got to go home. Now, if he just sat there in the mud and started crying about his sin... He felt really bad about his sin. He kind of turned on Caleb to make him feel better about his sin. And he cried a little more. And then after feeling better about himself, he just sat there and never went home. That would not be repentance. That would be feeling sorry for your sin. Repentance involves a change of mind and heart that the Holy Spirit brings inside of you that leads to not only you feeling bad about your sin, but turning from it. Now, did he come home with two prostitutes on his arm and say, hey, Dad, I'm home. Let's throw a big party. No, he left everything in that country, and he came back alone, and he was willing to face the consequences. What was he saying to himself? I know I've blown it with my dad. I'm no longer even part of his family. I've spat in his face. I pretty much disowned him. He has every right to, number one, kill me if he wanted to. Or or secondly, he has every right to put me as one of his servants, as one of his slaves. But I dare not be called a son. And so he owns up to the consequences. He owns up to his sin. And he gets up and he goes back home. He returns to his father. So let me tell you what repentance is not. What repentance is not. Repentance is not just feeling a sense of shame for disappointing somebody. Well, I disappointed them, so I feel a little bit of shame over it. That's not repentance. Repentance is not fear of getting caught or fear of the punishment of getting caught. That's not repentance. Repentance is not going to a priest and doing a few Hail Marys to somehow find absolution from another human mediator. That's not repentance. Repentance is not making a yearly attempt at self-reform like a New Year's resolution where I promise to do better next year, God. Cross my heart and hope not to die. And repentance is not simply feeling remorse. So what is repentance? Repentance is a sovereign work of a holy God whereby he comes and invades your heart and your mind and your will where you begin to have a whole new way of thinking a whole new way of relating, and it leads you to do a 180-degree turn from that life of sin, and you do an about-face, and you come towards Jesus. You see, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't believe unless you've repented, and you can't repent unless you believe. Because when you turn from something and turn towards something, you're repenting and believing. It's just the same thing. So, so basically, when the Bible talks about repenting and believing, it's really talking about two sides of the same thing. I turn from the sin, and I turn toward Jesus. Listen to Acts 3.19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, repent, turn back, turn around. And then listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 67. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's repentance. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, not just your ways, but your thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love this passage of scripture in Isaiah because it says that when we repent, when we return, we find God abundantly ready to compassionately forgive. Which leads us to our third and most exciting question this morning. Okay, so what's the first question? What does it mean to be a sinner? I'm spiritually lost, I'm spiritually dead, I'm rebellious, I'm accountable, I'm sunk. And what do I need to do? I need to, number two, generally repent. I need to repent and believe. I need to turn from that sin. I need to hate that sin, and I need to come and cling to Christ as my only hope. I need to believe in Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as my only hope, as the only Savior, as the only one that can free me, that can forgive me. And so here's the third question. Okay, so how does God respond to sinners who do, in fact, repent? What's God's response to repenting sinners? Well, heaven throws a party. Heaven throws a party. Do you see it? When the guy that the shepherd finds a sheep, what does he do? He calls everybody together and throws a party. When the woman who finds her lost coin, she calls everybody together and she throws a party. When the father's son comes back, what does he do? He calls everybody together and he throws a party. And the Bible says there's more joy in heaven, more joy in the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need repenting. But here's two things we see about the Father, how God deals with repenting sinners. The first thing I want you to see is it's the Father who pursues sinners. We're not seeking after God. God's seeking after us. The shepherd makes a diligent search. The woman with the lost coin makes a diligent search. God does not wait for us to get our act together before he sends a search party to come find us. He's always the one that takes the initiative. He's always the one that's in the driver's seat. God is the one that takes the initiative to seek us. Look at verse 20. What does the father do in this story? Verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He ran. He ran to him. No self-respecting Jewish father in that culture would ever run in public. And not only would you not run in public, but why would you dare run and go greet the son who had spat in your face? The father seeks him. The father searches him. So not only does God pursue us, but he also rejoices. I want you to think about the implications of this. God himself rejoices. God gets excited. God throws a party when sinners repent. Notice what the shepherd does. He calls everybody for a celebration. The woman calls everybody for a celebration. In verse 20, it, it says that he, was, he felt compassion, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. He celebrated. Kill the fattened calf. It was fitting to celebrate. Now, I want you to think about, it may be hard for us as Americans to really get, get this picture in our minds because we don't understand the culture But that son, if he came back to his father, and everybody listening to this story would have been shocked. The original audience listening to the story would have been shocked to find that the father threw a party. Because what were they expecting? They were expecting the father to either reprimand his son, 
condemn his son, judge his son, beat his son, whip his son, imprison his son. It goes against total convention of what people are going to think the father's going to do. What does the father do when the sinner comes home? He embraces him. He kisses him. And he loves on him. And this is what our heavenly father does when you repent. When you repent and believe and place your trust in Jesus, you will find a father whose arms are open wide to receive you, to love you, to embrace you, to forgive you. And I love the way verse 5 shows the imagery. Look at verse 5. I don't know a lot about sheep, and I've never really handled sheep, but I can just kind of picture this imagery in my mind. This shepherd looking all out there for that one sheep. You may think, why is one sheep that big of a deal? Well, that one sheep's a big deal because we're a big deal to God. And he's willing to take the initiative to go seek after that which is lost. But look at verse 5. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He picks that little sheep up, puts it on his shoulders. I can just see the joy in that shepherd's face. He's probably walking back out from the field. He's got this huge picture of joy on his face. He's holding that sheep tight to him, and he brings the sheep back to the fold. What does the dad do? The same thing. When the dad sees his son, he does the same thing the shepherd does to the sheep. He grabs up his son. He hugs his son. He kisses his son. Listen to what Isaiah 40, verse 11 says about how God treats us as his sheep. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. See, here's the amazing news this morning for every single person that's here. If you've come to that point where you have acknowledged in your heart, I'm lost. I'm dead. I'm rebellious. I, I, I can't fix this problem. The only thing I can do is, is, is admit my hopelessness and I turn from my sin and I turn towards Jesus. Here's the joy of the gospel. When you turn towards Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you repent of your sins, heaven throws a party. That's just the way our Father is. But there's a crucial element in this entire story that we need to remember. Who's telling the story? Jesus is telling the story. So we need to ask the ultimate question. Okay, so how can God, a holy, just, righteous Father, how can God love, welcome, accept, rejoice over sinners who repent? How can God do it? And the biblical answer is, he does it because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who came to seek and save that which is lost. Look at Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Great passage of Scripture. That's the mission of Jesus. He came to seek us. He took the initiative. He, he, said, he came down on the search party, the search and rescue party. He came to seek us. And not only did he seek us, but he came to save us. Not make salvation possible. Not make salvation a hypothetical um, possibility. He came to literally die on that cross, bearing all of God's wrath, bearing our shame in our place, crying out, it is finished. He died and he breathed his last and they put him in the tomb. And three days later, Later, he literally and physically and historically rose again. There's an empty tomb, and that's why we can have hope this morning in Jesus Christ. Listen to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. Paul says, I delivered to you as a first importance, as the most important thing I want to tell you. 
That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's just Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. It is a historical fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb. He appeared to over 500 people, some at the same time, over a 40-year period of time. It's the greatest apologetic we have for Christianity, the empty tomb. We've got the greatest message that the world cannot compete with. We have an empty tomb. We have a religious leader that's not just a guru. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just someone that's a life coach. He is God in the flesh that came and literally died and literally rose again. He's alive. He's alive. You can go to Medina today in Saudi Arabia and see the mosque of Muhammad's tomb. He died and never rose again. Siddhartha Gautama, who's the founder of Buddhism, he died and his, his remains were cremated and they're in relics all throughout the Far East. He died and never rose again. Confucius, the ancient Chinese philosopher, people can go to his shrine today where his grave is. He died and never rose again. We can stand up to the world and say, we've got a Savior that died and rose again. And he's alive today. And he's King of kings and Lord of lords and he's coming back. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith's in vain. So let's just pack up and go home right now. Doesn't make sense for me to stand up and preach. It doesn't make sense for you to be here. Everything we're doing is useless. It's in vain if Christ didn't rise from the dead. And even more importantly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been, de- been raised, your faith is futile, your faith is empty, and you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. You're still lost. You're still dead. You're still rebellious. You're still under God's wrath. You're still separated from God. If there's no resurrection, we're still in our sins, and our faith is hopeless. So praise Jesus that he rose from the grave so that we would be freed from our sins. But what I want to show you, again, is how this parable starts. Don't don't lose the beginning of the parable. Three stories, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. But what Jesus tells at the beginning is the setup. Why does he tell these stories? Here's the beauty. Look at verse 1 and 2, chapter 15. The tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's the joy of the gospel. Here's the joy of Easter. If you draw near to Jesus in repentance and faith, he receives you. And he receives you gladly. And he receives you with joy. And there's great rejoicing in heaven. The Bible says, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Would you draw near to Jesus this morning? And how do you draw near? How do you draw near to Jesus? Well, number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. I'm lost. I'm dead. I'm rebellious. I need salvation. How do you draw near? You turn from that sin and you look to the cross and you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're the only way. 
I, I can't do this myself. I can't forgive myself. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. The only thing I can do is look to you for salvation. And when you do that, when you admit you're a sinner and you repent, this passage of Scripture says Jesus stands there with his nail-pierced arms open wide to receive you, to love you, to hug you, to kiss you, and to welcome you home. And there's more joy in heaven. So here's my, my call to you this morning on Easter Sunday. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I want heaven to have a party today. Now, I can't control it. Only God is sovereign over that. But would that heaven erupt in praise this morning over sinners that are repenting and believing in Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Would Easter 2014 be the day that you forsook your sin, you owned up to your sin, and you trusted in Christ alone as your only hope. And you found him with arms open wide to receive you as you draw near to him. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to save completely all who draw near to him in repentance and faith today. He's able to save completely. That means there's nobody in this room this morning who's too far gone into sin that Christ's hand can't reach and save you. That means there's nobody here that's so good that somehow they think their goodness is going to get them into heaven that God can't come and change your heart and make you acceptable through Christ. Christ can save you completely this morning. Permanently. Joyously. If you draw near to Him. So would in this time this morning, would you draw near to Him? In repentance. In faith. Just come in here because it's Easter and it's your first time and you're not really sure what this whole Christianity thing is and or maybe you've been struggling with it or thinking about it and, and you, you found yourself here. It's no, it's no accident you're here today. You're here because God wanted you to be here. You're under the sound of my voice today because God wanted it to be that way. And God may be reaching down into the depths of your heart to show you your need for a Savior. And so would today be your day of salvation? The Bible says if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Call upon the name of the Lord today. Draw near to him today. So I'm going to ask you to spend some time in silent prayer. In whatever way you feel appropriate this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, or, or this is your first time to ever even hear the gospel, and you're not a believer in Jesus, would you spend time this morning drawing near to the one who receives sinners? Spend some time in prayer this morning. You're still bowed. Some of you may not feel comfortable at the end of the service, not really quite sure what to do with the message. And so um, one of the ways that you can respond is at the bottom of your communication card or bottom of your bulletin. Maybe you can just put your question down there or say, here's kind of what I'm thinking or here's, here's what God has spoken to me today and I, and I want to talk to Pastor Sean about that. And maybe you just want to fill out the bottom of your connection card and on your way out there's these boxes on the outside as towards the exit, you can just drop them in those suggestion boxes, and then I will follow up with you. I maybe call you up and see if you want to meet. That may be one way you respond this morning. Another way you respond is after we sing our very last song, I stand up here at the front, 
uh, to receive those that may have questions. So maybe you have questions or maybe you need prayer and you just want to come and talk to somebody. I'll be here as well as Pastor Andrew. That's another way that you can, can respond this morning. So you can respond by writing down kind of what's going on on the sheet of paper or you can come up afterwards and talk to us or talk to the person that came with you. We, we don't want anybody to leave today without having their questions answered about what God may be doing in your heart this morning. So after our closing song, I would invite you to come up afterwards and just talk with us so that we can pray with you and, and help you on your journey to understanding what it means to have this relationship with Christ. So let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that um, need to repent and believe. Lord, all of us were like the young man that spat in your face. And we went and lived in our own way and lived in rebellion. And we were lost and we were dead. And Holy Spirit, you came to us and you, you convicted us and you opened our eyes and we came to our senses and you, you birthed in us the ability to repent and believe. And so we came to Christ and we found your arms open wide with joy to receive us. My prayer would be for anybody here this morning that's never received the welcomed open arms of Christ in the cross and in the resurrection, that today would be their day of repentance and faith. Would there be a major celebration in heaven this day over just one sinner who repents? I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.